this God is big and powerful. He's big enough to deal with our biggest problems. He's big enough to deal with the worst stuff in our past. The temptations that we have at present. And the stuff we're nervous about and afraid of in the future. Is God is big enough to deal with all of it. And that's what we'll help remember today as we do Ebenezer Stone. Some of you wonder what these stones are doing up here. And I would like to do Ebenezer Stones with you today. In fact, at the end of the service, I'd like to invite you to make your own Ebenezer Stone. And to kind of plant the seed in your mind and have you start thinking about that, I thought I should tell you about... Well, I have two that I'm going to show you. Uh, I'm going to show you my first one here. More than a decade ago, I was at my first church, and I really, I really thought it was going to split. There was another person in the church that had a lot of influence, that was in a very strategic position, that was trying to undo everything I was trying to do, that was fighting me for every inch of every step I was taking. And they were extremely connected in the church. And we kept doing this. And it was, it was really bad for the church. It was really, it was really a hard, hard season. And, and I knew that I had to do this personal confrontation Again, this is something that I had done several times, but this was the time where I had to say, we can't keep doing this. And I was so scared because I was afraid that what would happen was all of their best friends would leave the church, and that was like half my board. I was, that's a key word, I was so scared. I I was afraid that the church would split and then I would never get called to another church because I grew the church to half its size. (laughs) You laugh, but it's real. I was afraid. And so we ended up having the personal confrontation. There was like one last straw where I'm like, I can't let this go. I I just can't. I, I have to talk to them again. And I have to say, come along or... Stop hitting the brakes. <laughs> like, pick. And so we, we had one last conversation and, and they decided to leave. And only they left. And what I wanted was for them to stay and what I wanted was for us to reconcile, but that was the second best solution. And a couple months later, Shane uh, and I and the kids were in a small group, and the dads took turns leading the small group. And one of the dads did the passage we're going to do today, and we made Ebenezer stones. And three months after this conflict, uh, I made this stone um, because the church was experiencing peace like it hadn't since I was called to it. It was just a time of a blessed peace. And I was just so thankful because I knew it wasn't because I was smart. I knew it wasn't because I was strategic. 
I knew it wasn't because I knew how to work relationships or anything like that. I knew it was just because God had preserved our church and, and had brought our church into a season of peace. And I, I, so, so this still sits on my shelf. It's, it's still there and it still reminds me that God has helped me in the past and God will help me in the future. So if you're thinking about your life and you're thinking about a stone you might make, what would you put on your stone? How has God helped you and brought you through really hard seasons? It might be you're in the middle of the hard season and you haven't gotten to write a stone yet. Because you, you haven't seen how God is going to bring you through. But you might look at seasons before this one. And remember how God brought you through those. How has God brought you through? How has he helped you? This is what we'll close the service with. There are pens up here. There are stones up here. I'll invite you up. And I don't want you to be in a hurry. I just want you to focus on how God has helped you. And, and write it down so that you can remember God's help in the future when you're tempted to be afraid. 1 Samuel chapter 7. We'll see how God helped them. And it will help us think about how God helps us. Before we do that, I got to fill you in on the backstory because if we just jump into 1 Samuel chapter 7 and be like jumping into the middle of a of a movie, you wouldn't know who the players are or what the context is. And and this is a, finishing the story about the ark. Now, when I talk about the ark, I'm not talking about a giant boat. I'm talking about the symbol of God's presence. So, when we read the men of Kirith-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord, what we're talking about is the symbol of God's presence, which is pictured here that the priests are carrying it across the River Jordan at flood stage as God is leading his people into the promised land. This was generations before 1 Samuel. The ark had been with the people as a symbol of God's presence for generations. What has led up to this story, where we are now, is the Israel was at, in battle against the Philistines. The Philistines' land there is in green. Um, Israel is in, was that tan? It's in tan. And so the Philistines are encamped at Aphek, and um, Israel is at Ebenezer. We're not sure exactly where Ebenezer is, but we know if the battle lines are drawn, it's close to Aphek. And so Ebenezer is there with a question mark on it, if you have good enough eyes to see that up there. So Israel goes into battle and loses badly. And so what Israel says is, we need to get God's help more than we have it. So what we need to do is not repent, not cry out to God for help, not confess our sins, not any of that stuff. That takes too long. What we need to do is go and get the ark and force God's hand to help us. They're thinking of God like a pet that they could control, like a power that they could manipulate. How do you think that went for them? Badly. Just like it goes for you and me when we think we can make God do what we want him to do when we threaten him. Or when we tell him, if you don't, then I will. Okay, so, so they go to Shiloh and they get the ark and they bring it to Ebenezer and then they go to battle and of course they lose very, very badly. God thought it was better 
for the symbol of his presence to go into exile and for a bunch of them to die than to think they could control God. And so the ark is in Philistine hands. And if Dave DeCook preached a couple weeks ago, it went down to, I think it's, yeah, it's Ashdod. And God's hand was heavy upon them and their idol kept falling over and they kept getting tumors and they're like, this is really, really bad. We need to move the ark along because we like the God that we can control rather than the God that's scary and powerful. And so they move it to Gath. Hey, who else was from Gath? Goliath, really big Philistine from Gath. They move it to Gath, and God's hand is heavy on them at Gath because they think they've conquered God, and God is not having it, and God is showing them his glory like a missionary. He's helping them repent, and they, they don't. And so then the ark moves. They move it to Ekron, and they're like, well, you deal with it. And the folks at Ekron, they're terrified. They can't deal with it either. And so they finally throw up their hands and say, we got to give it back to the Israelites. They do, and the Israelites maybe look inside it, or they take it lightly somehow, and God's hand is heavy on them because he's God, and he is not to be used. And so then they talk to the people at Kirith-Jerim and say, please come get the ark. And this is where we pick up the story, with the folks at Kirith-Jerim coming and getting the ark. And the men of kirith came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. You know Abinadab's house? It's like they live in Allegan. It's how they give directions. It's the one on the hill. Even in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when they go and get the ark, they're like, it's at Abinadab's house. Which, which Abinadab? There's a couple of them. The one on the hill. Oh, yeah. Got it. And they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated his son, Eliezer, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From that day, the ark was lodged at Kirith-Jerim. Okay, so let's go slow here. Remember the history here. They try to use God, manipulate God like a pet, manipulate God like a power. They try to use God. It goes very, very badly. The ark goes into exile, if you will. It goes into enemy hands. It comes back to Israel and the Israelites are like, we don't even know what to do with that thing. And so a long time passes. In fact, 20 years pass. And then the people decide to repent, and then they decide to lament after the Lord. And after, the house of Is- after that, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. It's kind of like when we try God, hoping God will give us what we want. It doesn't work. God doesn't give us what we want. And then we say, I'm done with God. I'll try other ways to get what what I want. We try those other ways and we come back to, that's not working. And even if we get it, that's not what I was really hoping for. And then we come back and lament to God. And then we come back to God who is what we need and truly what we're after. So after 20 years, they lament after the Lord and Samuel is there ready for them. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. So this is the goal. This is like repentance. This is like coming home to God. 
This is like them saying we were wrong for trying to use God. We were wrong for chasing after these idols. We're going to come all the way home. If you are returning to the Lord with your whole heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherah and they served the Lord only. So throughout the Old Testament, idolatry is compared to adultery. Idolatry is compared to adultery. And one of the things when you're coming home after adultery, when you're going to come back, when you're going to return after adultery, one of the things they say is you need to get rid of everything that reminds you of that adulterous relationship. What you are wearing, the gifts they gave you, stuff you bought while you were together, you need to get rid of all of it. And this is why we have a trash can up here, because before we take communion, we're going to get rid of what would stand between us and God, what would be adulterous or idolatrous between us and God. So I'll be asking you, what do you need to get rid of? What are you looking to and trusting? What do you think is more satisfying than God? And for them, it was Baals and Ashereth. It was prosperity and wealth, as these were gods of weather and fertility. Like, it's better for the economy if we worship Baals and Ashereth than Yahweh, because of the promises they make. Now, they came to the end of that, but that was what they were trying to get, what they knew they needed to get rid of. So the people repent, okay? And Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah. So I want you to see that this returning is a public thing. It's not like Samuel said, you each need to go to your own home and do this. No, he said, you each need to leave your own home and come here and we'll all get together and we'll all do it together. That's why we're all going to do it together this morning. And Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah. I'll show you a map of that later on. And I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. So I don't want to run past that. Because my sons would be saying, why on earth are we going to draw water, a lot of work to draw water, and then pour it out? Because all hard work brings a profit. No, I'm kidding. That's an answer I would give them, but that's not the answer here in the text. Why did we do that? Because it's an act of self-sacrifice. Because it's an act of saying, God, all I have is yours. I depend on you more than I depend on even water. So they draw water, they pour it out, and they're fasting on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So pouring out the water, fasting is a sign of their repentance. It's saying, we got this wrong. It was an adulterous, idolatrous sin that we committed. We got it wrong. We're coming home. We're getting rid of that stuff so that we can have a whole and a full relationship with Yahweh. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, here's what I want you to see. 
Joni pointed this out. I thought it was so helpful. Here's what I want you to see. How long does it take for the enemy to regather after they repent? Not long at all. Right away. They're in the middle of repenting and the enemy comes back. Watch this. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. Like, same old enemies. Immediately, immediately, they are tested. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were, what's that next word? Afraid. They were afraid. Of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. Do not cease. Keep crying out. It's a lot different than, hey, let's make God do what we want by bringing out the ark. This is much different than that. This is crying out to God, asking for his help. That he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. And so Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Probably of atonement to cover their sins. Remember, the Philistines are gathering, and here he is sacrificing this lamb as the Philistines gather. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And as Samuel is offering the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines. Now, if you're a student of 1 Samuel, you'll know that that is a direct reference to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, as she sets the themes down for the book. That it is the Lord who gives victory. And so here's the Lord giving victory with thunder, and it throws the Philistines into terrible confusion. And it threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Remember how we talk about how God won the victory, and when Israel brought the ark out into battle to try to use God, manipulate God, make God do what they wanted. God defeated Israel, but the Philistines were kind of there and got the credit for it. Well, here, God beats the Philistines, and there's Israel. And the lesson for us is that God is utterly king. He is all the way to ten in charge. And threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel by God. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone. This is what we're going to talk about with Ebenezer stone. This was a really big stone. Ours are going to be smaller, but it's a stone. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. So in the ESV, it has a note. My ESV has a little letter B, yours might have a 1 or a 2, depending on if it's electronic or paper or where it is on the page. Different formats have different numbers or letters, but you'll have a note there by Ebenezer. And if you don't have it here, if you have a different translation, you might have a note on chapter 4, verse 1, or chapter 4, verse 2, where you'll see the Ebenezer there as well. And they called its name Ebenezer, which means stone of help. Look, so that whenever they see this stone... They're going to remember, this is how God helped us. Remember the time we thought we were all going to die? And we cried out to God just for his mercy, and God showed up and helped us. Remember that? Remember that? Surely he'll help us again in the future. Ebenezer Stone. 
For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So that's the application. Like up to this point, he's helped us. And if he's helped us this far, he'll help us again in the future. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Israel. And the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, which means house of God, Gilgal, and Mizpah. So we saw those uh, names earlier in the chapter. And he judged Israel all these places. And he would return to Ramah. Remember chapter 1, that's where Samuel was from. So he, he moved back home instead of staying in Shiloh and judged Israel from there. For his home was there, and there also he judged Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. What can we learn from this text? Well, what I think we learn first and foremost is that God helps his people. Initially, he helped them know that he was not a power to be manipulated or a pet to be controlled. He is the mighty, loving father who does what is right for his people. This is why Ebenezer, the first time, he let the people lose and he let his ark go into captivity. And then the second time when they had learned this lesson and they cry out to him for help, he shows up in force and helps them with thunder. But it is God who helps us. So as I ask you, what would you put on your stone for how God has helped you? How has God helped you? If you could summarize God's help for you in one word, what would that word be? I just have to believe in a room this size, there's a couple of us that are going, I don't, I don't think he's ever really showed up for me. I don't think he's ever really been there to help me. To you, I'd like to talk about, I mean, if that's you, you're going, I don't think God's ever been there for me. I'd like to talk to you about how, you know, here in 1 Samuel chapter 7, it gets, I assume, scary dark when it starts to thunder and the Philistines get afraid. Can you think of another time in the Bible it gets scary dark? That's right. When the Lamb of God himself is hanging on the cross, Samuel offered a lamb. But that was just a picture or a symbol of the real thing, which was Christ himself, the Lamb of God, as he's dying on the cross, to take away the sins of the world. It gets scary dark. And the Lamb of God is dying to take away the sins of the world. And, and he dies for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and the Romans are going to check to see if he's dead or not. And so they get the spear 
and they pierce his side, and blood and, you remember? Water flow out. It's not that the people, you know, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the people pour out water to show that they've repented. On the cross, blood and water flow out to show how much God loves us and show that our sins are paid for and that we can be washed clean. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, God shows up and helps them conquer the Philistines. On the cross, God shows up and conquers the enemies that the Philistines kind of always pointed towards. Sin and death, Satan. So that Philistines and Americans and Jews and all manner of Gentiles could be saved. This is what we're going to celebrate when we celebrate communion today. We're going to celebrate how God has helped us. You have an Ebenezer stone. And it is the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Christ. At bottom, he has helped you through his broken body and his shed blood. That you might walk in the power of his resurrection. So what should we do? Well, here's where I would start. And this is what we've already talked about a little bit. You start by getting rid of all the stuff that you think would bring you more joy or bring you more happiness than God himself. You start by all, getting rid of all the stuff that you trust more than or instead of God. The lies that you'd believe instead of God. You, you get rid of that stuff. So I'd like you to actually do this today before we take communion. I'm going to give you a minute to do it when Melanie plays at the end of, this, end of the sermon. She's going to play. And you're going to have a chance to get rid of stuff by dropping it in the trash can before we take communion. And you might do is write the lie down there that you've been tempted to believe. You might write the idol down there that you have, the idolatrous thoughts that you've been living with, the adulterous thoughts you've been living with, you might write these down and then get rid of them. Put them away so that you can come back to God again. So that you're coming back to God as you remember how His body was given so our bodies could be healed. His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. How he gave his life for our life. So the first thing I'd want you to do is return to the Lord. And returning to the Lord means getting rid of all the idolatrous or adulterous baggage that we just tend to accumulate as we go through life. Second, from the text here, is I want you to remember how God has helped you. So after we do this, then we will take communion and we'll remember how God has helped us in the past. How God is bigger and better and stronger than all of our past sins. 
how God is bigger and better and stronger than all of our present temptations. How God is bigger and better and stronger than all the things in the future that we would be tempted to worry about. As you remember how God loves us, that he loves us with his broken body and his shed blood. I want you to remember how he watches over us. And you'd be thinking about this as we sing, Come Thou Fount, and it has a line in it that goes like this. Here I raise my Ebenezer, my stone of help. Hither by thy help I've come. I've come this far by your grace. Because you love me with laying down your life, dying on the cross, love, I know that you'll help me in the future. And this, this leads us really to the third take home that we'd have, and it is do not be afraid. Do not live in fear. Remember we pointed out the Philistine that hailed from Gath by the name of Goliath? Here, here he is up there threatening and boasting and, and he's really big and really strong and, and there's Israel just cowering in fear as they had forgotten their Ebenezer stone. They had forgotten how God had helped them in the past. And so they weren't looking forward to how God would help them in the future. This is why remembering is so important. And I also want you, to, want you to have clear in your mind the relationship between how God has helped us with his broken body and his shed blood and how that help has come true. So I don't look at this peace that we experienced at church as different from God's broken body and shed blood for me. I look at God's broken body and shed blood, his dying on the cross love for me, as coming true in this experience of peace. As I look at God's dying on the cross love as a way that God's provision worked itself out in my life. I look at God, what God did on the cross, what we remember in communion. I look at that as a way of God just continuing to love me. It's like a continuation of that love. It's not like this is different from this, which is different from this, which is different from a hundred other ways God provides for us. It all flows out of what we celebrate in communion, that we are his kids because he has made us his kids through his broken body and his shed blood. And so, don't be afraid. Because as God has helped you in the past, he'll help you in his future. If he doesn't withhold his own son from us, will he not also give us all things? Romans 8, 32. This is why we'll sing... And I hope, by thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. That God will get us home. Hey, I told you I had one more stone up here. As you're processing this, as you're processing what do you need to get rid of, and as you're processing how he has helped us with his broken body and his shed blood, and as you're processing ways that has come true in your life, I have, I have one more stone. So the day that um, 
we were supposed to, or the day we did this Bible study with Ebenezer Stones. Uh, of course, I'd preached that morning, and um, it had been a hard week, and I was exhausted, and I was grumpy, and it was Sunday afternoon, so that was normal. <laughs> kind of normal. <laughs> a little too normal than I'd like to admit, but I was like laying on the couch somewhere between awake and asleep watching the lions, which is the best way to watch the lions most years. And like, you know, half asleep, half awake, and Cheyenne says, you know, Caleb has a birthday party to go to. And I don't know if I responded in a coherent manner. And she said, and you know, Titus needs to go. And it's a roller skating party. And I'm pregnant, so I can't go. Pregnant for Ezra. And I did not want to go. Let me, okay. I did not want to go. But I went. Um, I don't want to take any credit for going. But I went. And I think, I think it was Caleb's first grade party. And I think, I can't remember, maybe he was kindergarten. I don't remember how old he was, but he was like the human mop at this party because all of his friends played hockey and he had never been on skates before. And so he's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, like smash, smash, smash. But he didn't care. You know, he's that young, it didn't matter. Titus, on the other hand, is two years younger, so he couldn't stay up at all. And so I had to hold his hand the entire time. You know, so we're going around, around, hour and a half, two hours. We're going around the circle. I'm holding his hand. And, um, you know, I didn't, I, once I got there, it was okay. We came back. We made memory stones. And um, this is a stone Titus made. I was like, yep. And our Lord said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? If me, when I'm tired and grumpy and at the end of it, how much more God? How much more God who never gets tired who's never grumpy, who's never at the end of it. How much more will he help you? Will he hold your hand when you're going through it? How much more, God, when you can't stand up, when you can't stay on your skates? How much more, God, when you look up and ask for help, will God not reach down and grab your hand and walk you through? This is how he loves us. This is an outworking of his dying on the cross, laying down his life for ours, allowing his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. This is his love coming true again and again and again in our lives. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, reach down your hand and uh, take ours and walk us through. And Lord, I pray that you would that you would just assure us that when we look up and hold up our hands, that you're there, that you'll help us because you love us with laying down your life, dying on the cross, love. I pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. So we're about to take communion, and uh, Melanie is going to play quietly for a couple minutes, and if there's anything you'd like to get rid of, anything you'd like to be done with, if there's 